This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to the Detection at Scale podcast. My name is Jack Naglieri. Today I'm here with Robin Smith, who is the head of cyber and information security at Aston Martin. Robin's prior information security leadership experience spans UK law enforcement, nuclear, and automotive industries. And he's an advocate for lean security as a strategy for corporate transformation. Robin is also a filmmaker and his documentary, Machina, Building the Immortal Technologies, won the Gold Award at the New York Sound and Vision Film Festival in 2020. His trilogy aims to promote freedom through information globally. Robin, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Did I miss anything in your background? Do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you. So you've covered it largely. I've been working in the information industry for 20 years, and I've been very lucky to travel across from being an information manager with a focus on knowledge management to being a privacy practitioner at the point of GDPR coming in 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 Europe. And then being one of those terrible people that's arrived into the cybersecurity industry, very little technical know-how, but just a passion and an ambition to transform. So I'm often sort of at the end of a technical conversation with the, just tell me like I'm a 10-year-old. So so yeah, I arrived in cybersecurity about five years ago, and I've been really fortunate to kind of work in law enforcement, finance, universities, and now working for Aston Martin as a CISO. It's a fascinating area to work in. And I'm I'm looking forward to the next decade of security work. That's quite a journey across a lot of different industries. How did you actually arrive into information security? So I think I've always seen information as an asset. I've always considered that organizations too rarely really understand how valuable knowledge, data, and information is. And we're moving into a, a position now where I think there's a lot more kind of respect for the value of information as a currency. Because I've had that perspective, it's enabled me to take on different roles and uh, try to promote and build solutions that put information at the heart of the organization. So that insight and that kind of consideration has meant that I've been able to adapt across different roles for lots of reasons, sometimes because I've been bored and sometimes because I wanted to try different challenges. I've always been somewhat kind of orientated to looking around the corner to see what's coming through the industry. It's quite evident in the last 10 years, the information security, cybersecurity was becoming a really essential part of not just the organizational life, but also of you know everyone's digital life. And I'm a big believer in having a plan B. You know, what's the expression of having an escape velocity approach? And I arrived in security partly by design, partly by necessity, and partly through ambition, because I think information security has developed over the 20, 30, 40 years. But it developed in a little bit of a vacuum. And it felt that when I arrived in the industry, there was lots of orthodox thinking that had been kind of promulgated over those decades by people that have had similar training, similar experience, similar backgrounds. And I think you do need new voices into the industry. You do need new people and perspectives into the industry, which is why, you know, we might touch upon it today. Things like, you know, having more diversity in securities to be encouraged because 
you can sort of start to deconstruct some of the thinking that's maybe gone a bit stale. You know, maybe we don't always need to do security in this ABC way. Maybe bringing new voices enables you know deconstruction and reconstruction of something better. So I I see myself as you know technically very very limited. My staff will verify that fact. But I've got a kind of a vaulting ambition that means that I want to see everything in the industry and I want to challenge it and critique it in the best possible sense and, and bring fresh thinking to the industry. And I'm, I'm hopefully doing that via my work with Aston Martin. Can you give an example of some of this fresh thinking and security? Yeah, you mentioned it in the introduction, which was one of the dimensions I've come across all of the information disciplines is this idea of being lean. I've made this point to lots of people after writing a book called The Lean Information Management Toolkit about a decade ago, which was, if we consider information as an asset, how do we really quantify and embed that value across the organization? So if we take the average cyber incident, you know, major cyber incidents such as Log4j or SolarWinds, it's, it's funny how these cyber criminals consider uh, December as a key target for making all our Christmases difficult. If we consider the amount of resource that went into incident response for Log4j in the last four weeks, one of my attitudes is to try and think leaner around processes and responses to make sure that we're not needlessly wasting resources. So the, the reflex in the industry is that a large-scale cyber incident might cost up to a million and a half dollars to remediate. That has been somewhat kind of promulgated by experience, by practitioners and by uh, people's understanding. But the challenge there is, well, why? Is there a million and a half dollars to any organization in the, in the last year, especially after the sort of impact of COVID, is an awful lot of money. And to simply say that instant response is going to cost this defined number is wrong. And to simply say that we engage with our technology providers at this cost is wrong. I think security practitioners should be really aggressive and, and robust in challenging any cost, whether they're costing time, in terms of money, in terms of experience, to actually ask, is this the leanest, most efficient way that we can respond to this incident? So, you know, one of my staff made the comment for, for Aston Martin's response to Log4j, we could have been more surgical. Now, that is a very really good insight. It's also true. We certainly did sort of spring into action and tried to cover everything immediately. But with a lean mindset, and, you know, I should abide by the, the words I've written down, we should be planning out our responses, limiting resources to only that's necessary, and making sure we account for the time and resource that goes into instance so we can learn lessons and do it more efficiently next time. I think that's the lean mindset, which is to drive that kind of aggression, that kind of need for cutting resources to only that which matters to make sure we can get the job done. And then rolling that out across technology engagements, training engagements and policy reviews to make cybersecurity in an efficient and effective industry. Thanks for that background. That was really, really interesting. And I, I actually really agree with that mindset of lean security as well. The question I have for you is, how does lean security apply into the lens of security monitoring and detection? Yeah, that's probably the key question, really, which is, you know, I've just been through a cycle of uh, procurement of new technologies, and I was aghast at some of the costs that were being put in front of me without really any context. And I started my career as an analyst in the UK police service. So I got grounded in things like, show me the evidence. Show me what problems you're solving. Show me the context and outline how 
this technology solution is going to be deployed and what it's going to look like in 24 months' time. So those are quite expansive questions for a tech provider, and they allow you to kind of get into that lean approach, which is to say, don't just sell me a technology, sell me solutions, not a solution, solutions. So when we procure technologies, cost shouldn't be wrapped around, you know, the delivery of a new system for detection and response. It should be wrapped around the technology, the support that's going to be received, the contextual analysis that might be provided, the value-added services that might include threat response updates, that might include industry analysis, that might include recommendations to other peers. And then the lean approach is to say, okay, all that, and then we want a continuous improvement mindset to develop this technology over its lifetime. So you don't just buy that singular point solution what you buy is a commitment to excellence over 24 36 months and i i must drive my technology providers mad because i'm never happy you know not not in a not in a bad way not in a kind of destructive way but i always push for improvement and and better design because of the nature of the brand and the organization i work for I'm able to kind of leverage you know, the brand reputation in partnership with these technology providers, which means that I can squeeze the pips and get that extra value-add service across all the lifetime of those contracts. And, you know, I know that we are a prestigious customer for lots of tech providers. You know, if you've seen the recent Bond film or any Bond film that we've grown up on, you know, people are really attracted to the brand, really attracted to the product that we put out. And they get the reflected glory of being in partnership with you know, what is a you know, real, real prestigious brand internationally. With that in mind, that should drive you know, not the same level of, of treatment that might be received by your, your local grocery store. Or I'm, I'm being a bit flippant, but because they get value from us, I expect the value from them to be doubled and tripled beyond you know, beyond what they might give to us. You know, that preferential treatment is, is the phrase that kind of comes to hand. So that allows us to be lean and, and assertive with regard to these tech solutions. So you mentioned the idea of the vendors showing the context and the problems that they're solving, but I want to flip the question around and ask you, like, what is your desired outcome when you're really looking at these detection platforms, these security platforms? We're an unusual organization, which is we produce luxury vehicles that go out across the world and mean that, you know, in the age of connected car, which is a market that's worth, you know, approaching 60 billion in the next 12 months, we need to make sure that our products are detected, not just whilst they're being produced by our fantastic engineers, but that they are protected across their lifetime as a key product uh, for, for their owners. So. We have detection and response for the corporation, obviously, like many organizations. We have detection and response for our uh, partners, you know, a dealership network that sell the Aston Martins to our customers. But we have connected cars being produced that contain an awful amount of technology, an awful amount of personal information. And they almost become the boundary for the organization as they roll out across America, Asia, the Middle East. And there's an expectation that whilst they're not officially our boundary, they are an asset that's been produced by an organization that's got a hundred year history of excellence. And there's an expectation that we don't just protect the organization, but we protect the brand by making sure connected cars have the best detection and response technology possible. So we are working in a really unusual 
dynamic and, and difficult environment to make sure that those assets are protected. How do you really gauge the effectiveness of this? So we talk about doing lean security and you mentioned the monetary side. So is it time and cost? Like what are the elements in the metrics that you're looking at as a leader to be like, yes, this is a lean security program and I feel good about this. And then I guess the opposite's also true. Like what would you look at to feel like, oh, this isn't lean enough. We need to get leaner. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, there's a really straightforward value stream for Aston Martin. They make cars and then they have to sell cars. So everything gets subordinated to that value stream, which is ultimately predicated on time and money. So when we look at new technology programs, of course, cost comes into it. But that isn't cost as a bottom line. That is cost in relation to how is this improving the way the cars are secured. So we might deploy new EDR, we might deploy a new scene. And the attitude is, firstly, how does it serve that key value stream? You know, making and selling cars is absolutely... And it's quite a, a simplified environment. I've worked in bureaucracy such as UK public sector, whereby they have 15, 20, 30 value streams, and you don't really know what you're serving. But the lean mindset in relation to a single value stream is simple. Okay? Are we doing it cheaper than last year? Are we reducing incidents? Are we improving digital literacy amongst staff? And are we delivering those cars to ensure they meet compliance requirements? There are some fairly wide-ranging UN regulations that relate to connected cars that Aston Martin is just uh, successfully dealing with. So your compliance assessments need to be met. And ultimately, you know, it goes to how quickly and how efficiently is the vehicle produced. And that becomes the overarching metric by which we consider these things. And if you're if you're not aligned to the business, all the security metrics in the world are meaningless if we've produced less cars. If we produce cars that are less secure, so what if I've saved 15%? So the idea there is to harmonize security with business cost, is to build in, and you know we've all heard of security by design, is to use security by design to make sure the cars are produced, developed, and sold with security baked in, and to have a consideration that it might be that we have to spend more on a technology, but that might drive up security and reduce incidents by 10%. You have to balance all of these metrics in a kind of total way rather than reduce it to, we saved 5% this year. Well, so what? You know, you know. So we're advocates for understanding analysis in context, linking to the business to make sure we understand all of the environmental factors that might inform the cost of a product and using the technology to the greatest degree possible. Now, that sounds really straightforward, but I've deployed lots of technologies whereby they've simply been implemented. They haven't functioned to the highest level and then they've been ignored. That drives me mad. You know, I can't say Aston Martin did this, thankfully, but other organizations that I've worked in will simply procure technology because of their novelty, deploy them, and then not seek to really maximize the value in terms of production, in terms of delivery as possible and simply go out and try and replace it with another technology. That, to me, is the antithesis of the lean mindset, which is every penny I spend, and my staff go mad at this, every penny we spent needs to be seen to be doubled in terms of the value it delivers for the organization. I like the practicality element there, right? I mean, like you said, you don't want to just procure something because it's novel and, and new, and maybe it's it's on Web3 and, you know, whatever it may be. It's using AI and ML, you know? I like the approach of practicality being very lean and, uh, and things like that. 
that's where not having techies in the industry is useful, which is I might be seduced by a new uh, ML-inspired, you know, detection and response capability, but that might not align to the business. So being technically somewhat limited, I'm very good at strategic management and, and risk reviews, by being able to see the whole, by having a total view of design and delivery, that's much more helpful in terms of deployment other than verifying that technology works. Well, of course the technology works. We know that. It's in the market. By taking a total view and an eye into the business, that's where I can bring value for the organizations I've worked with. So Robin, do you think that the security products in the market today support this idea of building a lean security model? I'm not sure they do. And it's for obvious reasons, really, which is these individual security tools and products that you buy, yeah, they spend a lot of R&D time on getting them to market. So this the lean mindset would try and encourage integration and interoperability across the products. But whilst you, know, you have your API security and API integration that makes it possible, in reality, I'm not seeing the kind of orchestration that I might have hoped for by 2022. You're seeing a lot of kind of, well, we can't possibly collaborate with them or a lot of kind of feedback from providers, which is, that's not how the technology works. And I think that is a reductive mindset that it goes against the spirit of Lean because Lean really is a mindset about reducing waste, focusing on value, and moving towards you know an idea of perfecting processes. But in reality, we don't see technology providers so obsessed with the processes themselves. I see a lot of reflection on how the technology works. And that creates waste, which is against everything you would kind of want to aspire to as a lean practitioner. You know, the waste of unnecessary design steps, you know, delays in response to updates to the system. These are all things that we all encounter on a day-to-day basis. And it creates a waste in terms of time. It creates a waste in terms of resource. And it creates kind of a stratified approach to your security program, which is my XDR does this. My you know, AV does this, and they don't integrate well. So I'm hopeful that we can maybe get there over the next decade. We need more orchestration. We need more feedback to providers that you know it isn't just about those single solution. It has to be part of a orchestrated state to protect the organisation, and it has to be focused relentlessly on reducing waste. This idea of reducing waste and focusing on value, it relates a lot to detection too, because if you think about a bad detection program, you have an inordinate amount of alerts that are low value, right? And it's directly going against the lean security model that you're talking about. Have you seen examples of building effective detection models that are lean? And and do you think that this idea of like less alerts, more refinement, more automation, like really plays into that? Yeah, and I'm hopeful for automation, reducing all of those kind of human errors that contribute to waste. Let's not pretend it's just a supply-side problem. I've had lots of very, very good analysts, and I've had some mediocre analysts, uh, thankfully not ones I work with currently, who haven't been able to leverage the technology. But if we talk about lean in terms of technology, we want the flow through the system. We want detection and response processes to, to cut out the noise. We want it to focus on only what's necessary. And we live in an era of big data where analytics has moved from a very limited, uh, unsophisticated discipline to something that could change the world. So I think automation will drive down waste. I think automation will drive up 
perfection and it'll allow analysts to pull the most important insights from detection and response services to enable quicker remediation, deeper learning, and moving towards that perfected sort of horizon that we'll never arrive at, but that's not the point. The point is to chase perfection. Right. So how do we keep programs lean over time? I think it's about giving providers lots and lots of feedback with regard to what's working, what's not working, and what could be done better. And I think if we sort of invert the classic approach, which is this is the technology and this is what it does to here is the problem and the technology needs to serve it. That, so that sounds obvious. It sounds like a statement of common sense. But as I say in the UK, common sense isn't so common. We have to engage with suppliers, technology providers, at maybe at an earlier stage to say it's not about pointing the technology in this sort of fashion. It's about being problem-oriented and being willing to plan to check and act what we are doing across the organisation to inform the development of technology because you know it isn't just a sales race simply buying technology is the least concern of a CISO or of a security practitioner the technology needs to be designed around problems it needs to solve the problems and if there's evidence that the technologies on detection and response aren't detecting and responding that needs to be addressed and I'm a, I'm a big believer in having positive and constructive relations with suppliers that doesn't mean we don't bully them when the technology doesn't do what I need it to do. Totally agree with that. So to wrap up the conversation today, for those listening in, uh, could you give some some advice on how to succeed at effective detection at scale in the future by giving three pieces of actionable advice? Well, I think I'm not the most technical CISO. I'm actually someone that's come from a background in privacy and risk management. But I think some of the tenets of my career are applicable to everyone. So I don't know if you're aware of Jocko Willink, who is a popular guest on lots of these development podcasts. But Jocko Willink has got this idea of owning your work in extremis. So I think if we take on the security program, the security demand for an organization, we should really be committed. And where we see waste, having that lean mindset, we should be aggressive about reducing waste. So I, I thoroughly recommend uh, Jocko Willink's ideas around ownership and, and taking control of the security program rather than it being beholden to you know, other parts of the department, other parts of the organization. My my staff always own their work in extreme, as I encourage it all the time. A second part, I guess, is it's another kind of management perspective on being a security practitioner, but is encouraging people to fail big. You know, detection and response is quite a high risk game. And I have seen lots of staff willing to try and live in that world of limited risk, de-risking every action as they can. But that doesn't lead to breakthroughs. You know, the best thing I've seen is to encourage my staff to think about risk in two ways. Yes, there are negative risks, which is the first way. We need to defend. We need to move from instant response to continuous response. But we also need to capitalize on positive risks to innovate and to drive down those sort of problematic errors that we see for our organization. So I say fail big. I never mind when my staff fail if they are thinking about ambitious targets. That's fine. There's always some learning to be had when you do that. And I guess the last part really for security practitioners, this may be a bit wider, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure whether this is quite what you mean, Jack, but it's quite a stressful industry. It's quite a stressful discipline. And I would encourage everyone involved in detection and response and, and those activities that really at the kind of 
cutting edge of the organization just to have a bit of levity about what they're doing is to kind of think about you know what does the role demand of me and how can I do my very best to deliver so these sound quite pat but actually I think this goes back to having a positive mindset around detection and response about security as a whole and making sure that we don't burn ourselves out we don't take things too seriously because you know what seems like a massive issue today can be much reduced in the morning after a good night's sleep. So so it's not really about kind of technical issues there, but it's really about the mindset we take to doing this job and making sure we're successful for the organisation. Because really, you know, is it going to matter in a year's time? Is it going to matter in five years' time? fact is, some things will, and you should take those things seriously, but you might be surprised as you get more experience in this sort of part of the cybersecurity domain you start to understand that actually lots of emotion about issues is wasted. What you need is clear, cool analysis, and that'll help you get through the day. That's awesome. Robin, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. And um, if you're hiring, feel free to drop your ad right here to join the team. <laughs> we unfortunately just filled our team up. If you're ever in the UK, you're very welcome to come and see the fantastic factory that we have. And if I may, anyone interested in, in what I've said today, if you want to see my documentary, uh, it's available on machinafilms.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.